This podcast is brought to you by nbs.fm, the no bullshit podcast network. Hey guys, Adam here. So today's an interesting one. I just got off a great call with Jeff. Um, so Jeff's background's really interesting. So he's a, a real estate guy uh, that saw a problem in the world and not just a real estate guy, he's a really successful real estate guy. Um, and we sort of dug into that transition from real estate to technology. And it's not just technology, like this guy is battling the giant. When I say the giant, the, if you if you said, who do you not want to fight? Who do you not want to step into a ring with? If you were building a company to compete in a certain space, what would you avoid? I think we'd all say Google. So Jeff is building a browser that is fighting Google. It's going to pay you to browse through a revenue share model. And through this interview, we talk about how he made that transition and how he thinks about customer acquisition costs and selling data. Enjoy. Jeff Bermant believes that because your data is your data, you deserve to get paid. And that's why he created Cocoon My Data Rewards. For years, browsers and search engines have been collecting people's data and making billions of dollars selling it. With so many people being left out, Jeff thought it was time to do something about it. Cocoon My Data Rewards helps users sell their online data easily and anonymously. Now you can decide whether to cash in on the sale of your anonymized data or keep that data completely private. Jeff founded his company Virtual World Computing in 2008 and has been dedicated to providing a better trusted browsing experience with superior privacy controls. Jeff's company has always been committed to their users and they're committed to improve the experience and increase the ability to profit. They're a data company who's all about earning money for the user, not just from the user. So now please enjoy this interview with Adam Callow and Jeff Bermant, founder of Cocoon My Data Rewards. Jeff, thank you so much for taking your time today to join us on the Startup Diary podcast. How are you? I am fine, Adam. Thanks for uh, having me. I, I love to uh, talk to you about this. Yeah, absolutely. Looking forward to this. And just out of curiosity, Jeff, where are you in the world right now? We are in lovely Santa Barbara, California. Temperature today will be as normal, about 73 to 74 degrees. We don't vary much here. So it's kind of the, you know, kind of the perfect weather. And uh, let's just stay on Santa Barbara for a second, because from doing a little research into your background, you probably know the area really well. You used to be a real estate guy. Just give me an idea of where you started your career, what you're doing now, and then we can jump in and start unpacking some stuff. Sure. Well, I'm originally from back east in New York area, and I came out to California to play tennis. I was a tennis player, pretty good, highly ranked player. Ended up at USC, University of Southern California, for your listeners, and which was a top tennis uh, school. I was one when I ranked in the top three or four in the country, and uh, had a great, great career there. I was I was noted as one of the best bench sitters of all time. <laughs> so uh, didn't play that much, but there were so many good players that you know I, I kind of understood that. Went out onto the pro circuit for a short period of time, and my dad looked at my. Uh, borrowings and said, you know, I don't think you're going to make it as a pro tennis player. You're losing more money than you're making. So I uh, quit the quit the circuit and I didn't want to be a te- tennis coach for the rest of my life. I could have been, uh, but I'm sort of, you know, I have kind of this A personality and I thought I'd be bored and I would have been bored. So from there, I went into work for a company called Cowell Banker, which is now CBRE, which is one of the biggest real estate brokerage companies in the world. I worked for them for five or no, seven years altogether. 
I worked for, interestingly enough, for Tom Selleck's dad, you know, the movie wow, stars. Wow, yeah. I worked for Bob, uh, who was a great guy, uh, helped me with my career, um, loved me because I was a tennis player and, you know, he loved the athletes. And so I got to know that well, I actually knew uh, Tom's brother from college, Dan. And then from there, I left and uh, decided I wanted to be a real estate developer. My family is in the real estate business, but I didn't want to get into their their avenue of business, which was shopping centers. So I ended up, because of my background at Cobalt Banker, which was office buildings and industrial, uh, I got into building office buildings. I um, partnered with a guy who gave me no chair, no desk, uh, no salary. I had to figure all this out at home. And I made my first, and this sounds so silly because today making a million dollars is, I mean, it's just not that big a deal when you get into entrepreneurship. But in the 70s, late in the early 80s, it was a big deal. And I, I made a million dollars and then I proceeded to lose it, of course, by doing something silly. But uh, that got my career started in real estate. And I built uh, $1.5, uh, uh, $700 million of real estate in my career. And then game, became bored and thought, you know what? There's got to be something else I like doing. And um, so I got into tech. Okay, there's a couple of things I want to unpack there. Um, firstly, I think a million in anyone's world right now uh, is still meaningful because I speak to a lot of entrepreneurs that are just trying to break profitability, never mind make a million. Um, I wanna, I'm, I'm going to get crucified in our community if I don't ask. You said you made it and then you lost it. Give me the headlines. Maybe I don't want to rip the, the plaster off and really expose the wound, but like, talk to me oh, about sure. that. So, you know, I, I built my first... Uh, office building. I was lucky enough to have a partner that said, I'll give you 50% of the profits uh, if you do all the work, basically. And I just reported to him and I did all the work. I figured out the buildings. I got them leased, built, so on and so forth. And then what happened was two years later, the company that uh, uh, financed us said, well, they want to sell the buildings. So we sold them and I, I bought them back. And I actually made a million dollars in doing that. So I still own the real estate today, which was a fabulous deal. But then I went out and did a deal where I was doing a ground lease and I put a million dollars into the deal and I lost it all or almost all of it. And so I went from a feast to famine in literally a year and then back to scrapping and, and you know, having a great reputation and being a really good developer and money will seek you. <clears throat> if you're good at that, um, money will find you. And money found me, and I built a very nice business career. It's not the biggest uh, office building, you know, thing in the world, but it was great for Santa Barbara. And I principally stayed in Santa Barbara and became one of the major developers here. And and so, yeah, you lose a million, you make a million, you have to stay at it. Yeah, it's a persevere through all those types of things. You stay in a ring and you go through the rounds, and eventually you try and come out on top. I like that. Um, I don't want to make this a real estate show. Um, I think the transition into technology, it, it, for me, is just super interesting when I'm sort of read through your career to date. Talk to me about what, what was the light bulb moment for you where you said, actually, no more real estate. And I guess let's preface all of this with sharing what you do today, just to set some context. And then we can talk about how the idea started. I'd love to sort of go down that. Um, sure. Yeah. Ground story. So, um, uh, I think you asked the question, um, how did I transition into this? So <clears throat> I'm a very inquisitive person and 
this was 10 years ago, I started noticing when, when we were just getting going with the George Bush internets, as he likes to call it. <laughs> I didn't know there's more than one, but apparently there's a couple. And I still use that term, internets, at the, around the house. Um, but I was kind of annoyed. I was annoyed at uh, uh, people following me on the web. I was annoyed at uh, seeing advertisements. And, and I didn't understand what was going really on. And so I'm one of these guys that will just, you know, try and figure something new out. And so I had a, a buddy who was a, he's a really a genius, uh, software developer here in Santa Barbara. And we started to talk about things and I went through a couple silly ideas. And then I came on the idea of, well, maybe we should make people more private on the web, which I found fascinating. And so we got into building a browser Mm -hmm. which I didn't understand. I mean, I barely could turn on my computer back then, 10, 12 years. I didn't know how to turn that thing on. And I went through all the steps of learning, all the jargon of learning about how you even talk. And the business is interesting. The business is not that much different than the real estate business in, this, in, the, in the business plans and how you plan something. There are some things that are very different, but most things are basic business points. And so if you understand the business points, particularly in real estate, it's not as hard as you think to get into, uh, into the software business uh, because it's all basic business. And so I went into it. I got, I, I mean, it wasn't a great experience. I've lost my shirt over and over again. But as I started out to tell you, I, I'm one of these guys who perseveres and I kind of look around and think, and I never think like, well, how much money can I make? I always think, well, how can I help someone? How can I do a better job? And obviously, the our browser, which was a, a private and secure browser, is actually a pretty good piece of equipment when working perfectly. The problem with is I was I didn't understand this. I was competing with VPNs, mm -hmm. and they just overwhelmed you. And then people would say, "Well, wait, I'm not going to pay for a browser, but I will pay you for a VPN." Which to me is, you know, if you're doing the same thing as a a VPN and you could pay less for a browser to do this, you know, it seems like that's a pretty good bargain, but you couldn't go compete with the VPNs because they could spend a lot more money than you could. So their marketing budgets are gigantic compared to yours. So it was kind of a, a wake up call. And I, I'll admit, I lost a lot of money doing this. And, but I was persevering to say, you know what, maybe there's a better plan than what I've been doing. And now that I understand the business, uh, truly understand the business, maybe there's an opportunity. And as I said, I always come from the standpoint of, can I help you? All of my real estate career was always about helping people, not about, you know, maximizing profits. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I never looked at the profits so much and I'm not the richest guy in the real estate, but I was very successful at what I did. And, and even big companies wanted to do business with me. So the original version. So let me just get for me, just to get the, uh, yeah. the scene straight is, you introduced to the internet. Love that, by the way. Um, I, I wish everyone spoke in George Bushisms. It would make the world yeah. a more fun place. Um, you got introduced to the internet and you thought, this is cool. Um, things are happening on here that kind of make me feel a little bit icky because I'm being followed. I'm giving up data. Not entirely sure how or why. you got a great friend who understands technology. You expressed your pain. He worked with you on a solution. You have a browser and you say, well, let's sell this browser and protect everyone's data. No one buys a browser. That didn't work. What does your business do today? And let's talk about how it went from A to B. 
So interesting. When you get to learn the business, of course, you then, I'm one of these very creative people. And even in the real estate business, I'm one of these guys who thinks out of the box. And you have to have that kind of personality to think out of the box. You, you have zillions of possibilities that you actually know. And then there's way more that you don't know. Mm-hmm. And those are the ones that you have to explore. So as I was wrestling with Cocoon, which was the browser that kept you safe and private, uh, I'll give my son the credit. He said, you know, Dad, people are giving away their data. You know about how to build a browser. I mean, you've done two or three now. What about that idea? And it struck me like, yeah, wait, where is that data going? And then I, I realized after doing some research, and I have a policy in my office, don't come tell me something without doing the research because I research everything. And my wife and I will have an argument. I'll go out, look it up on the web. And of course you can find all the information you ever want about your position. And if she doesn't know how to search, you have a little edge. So, uh, <laughs> did you just say you have a little edge when it comes to your wife and arguing? Yeah, of course. Because <laughs> uh, she won't go look, do the research and I will. So, we're, yeah, I'm lucky my wife doesn't listen to this show and uh, we're, in the same, we're in the same boat, put it yeah, that way. <laughs> right. Mine either, so thank goodness she's not listening. Otherwise, she's, she's probably going to take lessons of how to surf the web and look for you know, you know, stuff and counter my positions. And I send her positions all the time. And I send them with, you know, with detailed uh, links and she's, I bet she doesn't look at any of them. <laughs> <laughs> So anyway, it gave me this idea like, wait, I need to do an exploration about what's going on with your data. And as I started to realize uh, that your data is just being basically taken and, and we're like sheep where this data is being taken from us or given to someone, you're not making any money, you're doing all the typing, you're doing all the research. Sure, they're offering you a browser or a search engine but that's all they're offering you and that doesn't cost very much. So I sat down, the first thing I sat down is I did some math and went, wait, if I just start splitting these profits in some fashion with, with users, maybe there's a business plan that comes up with browsing and geolocation where I can, I can help people. They're not making any money now. Well, why not come up with a plan where they make money instead of just some big corporation like Google or Facebook making all the money. And, and, and I, I was pretty proud to see Andrew Yang, who was running for president of the United States, he was saying the same thing. And I was like, well, yeah, I'm actually building this right now as you're talking about it. I'm actually building a browser and geolocation that will allow you to profit off your data. Sure, you're going to have to give it up, but you're already giving it up. Google knows all about you. They don't care about your name and address so much, but they have all this information about you. So unless you're hiding behind a VPN, everything is basically in there, you know, they have it all. So why not get paid for it? So you kind of built a a revenue share model where it feels like a win-win in theory, which is you get to make profits, the user gets to make profits and they give their data to you. Talk to me, but I want to unpackage a lot of stuff here about user acquisition and getting people to adopt new technologies. How do you get that model built because it feels like a chicken and egg problem for me. And when I tried to do a bit of research, I was trying to look into it and say, hold on. So if you get users, that's one problem. We can talk about that in a second. Um, if you get users, you then need to, do you need to go and get like bespoke deals with lots of different providers and curate those deals before you can actually start making any money? How, 
I guess where I'm confused yeah. is explain that model to me because it feels very black magic right now, which is cool, but I'd love yeah. to get some learnings from it. Yeah, sure. So interestingly enough, uh, I, I thought the same thing, like, okay, I probably can get users to buy in on this, you know. Uh, so where am I, who am I going to sell this data to? So, of course, as I said, I only do research. That's the first thing I do. I went online and went to a bunch of different um, companies, and they were all like, oh, well, yeah, sure, we would do this, but you need a million customers. Mm-hmm. And, of course, you have the chicken and egg, right, which is, well, I don't have a million customers because i got to be able to sell the data, and if I don't want anybody buying the data, then this model doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Well, I called, so I got on the phone and I called or emailed a bunch of different companies. And there was one guy in Chicago who said, hey, I, he's a trader of data. He said, I had the same idea. He had built a browser before. And he said, you know what? We'll partner, we'll broker your data or we'll buy your data and we'll get you started in this. And once I, said, I thought that, then I started calling other companies like Experian and some of the other bigger companies that need data and said, you know, would you buy our data? And they were like, no, you're too small. But when you get to a million customers, we'd be happy to buy your data. So all of a sudden, the, the one thing, which is really hard because you have this problem where you may not get paid enough money from even that one provider to keep mm-hmm. your customers, right? That's the challenge. Because people are like, wait, I'm only worth $10. Well, that doesn't seem like that's fair. But let's, that's, let's zoom into that. Like, how much is data? Just educate me on that. How much is data actually worth? It, it kind of depends on, on how, much, how much you do. So, for instance, if, if you turn, uh, we have a deal pending that's uh, not pending. It's, it's actually inked. That, you know, we pay, uh, they pay us 3000 or three dollars per thousand pages that you surf. So if you said you do four thousand pages a, a, a month, that's we'll call it about twelve dollars. If you if you walk around with our new app and you put our geolocation in your pocket, um, it's once again it's it's a unit. It's business says a unit counts for some amount of feet that you walk, and in this case, let's call it one hundred and fifty feet. And every one of those counts as a unit and they pay you based on the amount of units that you actually walk or drive and, and even driving pays you units. So they, the advertisers or, or the, or the hedge funds are interested in your daily activities. So if you walk across the street 10 times to a, a, a shopping center, they want to know that if you walk into a Starbucks, they want to know that. And that's what they're gathering that profile on you. And they'll pay me and then I'll split revenues with my customers. And it's a great model because it's a win-win for both of us. I mean, I'm making money helping you sell your data. I can't think of anything more fun and fantastic for a win-win. And I always tried to make my office buildings win-wins for people as well. Mm-hmm. And so this is just innate for me to have a win-win. I'm a kind of a different businessman where I don't believe that you have to be greedy. You have to take all the money off the table. I, I just, I, I think that's not necessary. So I'd probably be kicked in the butt by a bunch of big companies for saying that, but I just have my own viewpoint about it. 
Uh, yeah, I, and I completely agree with you. Uh, I'm looking at in our office now, uh, and we've got we put people first before profits on our wall um, because I just think that's how you build something that's sustainable. It moves it from being a very transactional business, uh, in, in my opinion, and people yeah, buy into absolutely. the brand, brand and the mission. Um, so, talk to me about this because this is I kind of me and the guys at the MBS team here when we're looking at your business, we're like, well, this is really cool. Then we go, well, how do you get people aware of this product? and to willingly give you their data. How do you get over that big hurdle? Talk to me about what you've done and challenges and how you've overcome them. So we started with a desktop version, which I, you know, if you want to admit making mistakes, I'll, I'll admit I made a mistake. <laughs> it was just easy to build because we yep. built desktops and um, building a mobile was going to be a challenge and a lot of money. And, you know, when I'm talking a lot of money, $80,000, mm-hmm is not out of the range of building a complicated product like this, where there's a lot of uh, transactions going on and a lot of data that you, we don't keep most of the data. We can see the data, uh, but we don't, we send that to, to the, the buyers and then they price it and send it back to us. And whatever we get, we pay out a, a big percentage to our customers and a small percentage to us. But, um, I'm sorry, you asked me, uh, ask me that question one more time. Yeah, it was the, you've kind of got something that is quite disruptive from a user's perspective. Ah, yes. People yes, are yes. used to Google, they're used to all these services. And then you're saying, hey, you're giving up data. So there's an education piece we've got to do there because a lot of people don't even know they're giving up data. And because you're giving up data, we can help you make money from that. How did you get users to willingly come to you and use your product? Well, you know, it's an interesting thing. I always, people always say to me, yeah, how are you going to get uh, 1.5 billion people from Google to your service? And there's almost 4 billion people have some sort of uh, browser that they're using. And, and I, my hypothesis was, well, I'm going to bribe them. <laughs> what do you mean you're, <laughs> you're going to bribe them? <laughs> I'm going to pay you. And so I'm going to pay you. I'm going to build something very similar to, to, to Chrome. So we built off of Chrome. That was my theory was, well, the biggest population was Chromium based. So we built a Chromium product. Uh, it's, you could say it's an extension, but it's a very complicated extension because it does all the things that Chrome does for you, we do for you. Mm-hmm. So it's deeper than just throwing on an extension onto Chrome and calling it a product. And I would tell you that you'll have a problem with Chrome uh, uh, and Google, because you're actually, if you just do that and you tag their users with an extension, uh, they're going to come after you. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. That's their, that's their customers. So you have to build your own browser off of Chromium, which we did. And then you have to sell it to the public like, okay, you guys are all giving, as you said, education. And, and, and I would give you the theory that, that it's easier to sell offshore to people who don't care so much about their privacy. So you have this pull and push of some people saying, I really want my privacy. What they don't understand is I don't really have their privacy unless they're using a VPN, Mm -hmm. they have no privacy, but they think they have some sort of privacy. And so they think when they're selling their data or they think I just don't want to know. And so those are the people that don't want to know that they're selling data, want to forget about it. Those are not your customers. There's a whole slew of people and particularly in this day and age, what's going on in the world, where this is kind of a recession-proof product because lots of people would like a few more dollars in their pocket. And my hypothesis is 
we can grow this because of the way I strategize into a, a really nice cash flow for people if they stay with the product, if they use the geolocation. Because the way I want to handle this is the more buyers I get, the more money you make. I'm not like, well, you pay me the most money, I'll forget about all the other providers. Yeah, I'm going to make you give us the best price you can, but I want hundreds of, of, of buyers for the data so that I can pay you more and more money because we're on the same side as you are. Yeah, it's one of those interesting models where if the, if the user isn't being compensated enough and they don't yeah. use the product, it turns your business off instantly. So you have to keep that partnership in line. Just give me an idea of how much people can make, whether it's today or in the future. Like, how does that model work? So let's take my serving habits. That would be a good place to start. I do about three or 4,000 pages off of two computers. And I'm doing about 15 to $18 a month. This is without geolocation. Yep. And, and I would say, if you're a normal you know, person that spends, and that's not that many pages, if you think about three or 4,000, the way it works, desktop and mobile are totally different um, business models. In a desktop, you're, you're actually selling to advertisers and they only buy approximately 20% of your data. They may only pay you less than a penny. Uh, so it's pretty meager to start. Uh, and you have to build up a bunch of customers. And the problem with, of course, with desktop is, desktop is kind of country orientated. So you just can't say, and this has been a, was a problem for us, this very interesting business problem. We had lots of people from around the world coming and trying to sign up for our US desktop and we couldn't sell their data because their data to the U.S. advertisers was worthless to them. Mm -hmm. But in mobile, it's a whole different story. They actually are much more inter integrated internationally, and they have lots of buyers for data from all over the world. So when we launch our, our, our app, anybody can use it. And my, my worry is i got to get all these channels open to pay you. And that's a whole different thing compared to what my competitor is doing. I have a whole different business plan of how I get you paid as fast as I can. And so that, that's something we should dive into because it's really interesting. And it's, I think it's the, one of the keys to being successful in this business. Let's unpackage that. Okay, so how do you get people paid? How do you so accelerate all, that payment? Finish. I'm bribing you to come over. Yep. You could end up making, I've seen users, well, I've seen some users who are using farming. I call it farming. You know, they've got bots running this thing. And they're doing 100,000 pages. You know, we can tell. If yep. you're trying to scam us, you know, this is not hard for us to figure out how you're scamming us. And so the highest we, we actually see people higher than this. But once you get over about $100, mm -hmm. we stop paying you because it just looks like you're artificially yep. somehow. You just can't turn that many pages in a month. Yep. Right? We, we can figure that out. So I've seen as much as $200. Um, but normally we have now a cutoff of $100 a month on your surfing. This has nothing to do with what your mobile is going to be like and has nothing to do with when we start adding other companies uh, to buy the data. My, my, my supposition is going to be two dollars $300 a month going into your pocket. Done right. Yeah, that's it's a lot of money that going to people who are, who are penniless today off of data. It's a, it's a big chunk of money, to be honest. It was a lot more than I expected. Yeah. Um, I, I guess one, 
so if I'm sat with you now and I'm like, okay, here's the business plan and we map this out from my understanding right now is how do you work out how much you can pay to acquire a new user when people's behaviors within the product are so vastly different? Like, how do you think about user acquisition? I think that'd be an interesting one to dig into. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, and you're asking great questions. So a uh, real learning curve. Um, when we first started the desktop, we were at $9 to sign up a user, which was totally upside down. You just, you know, you couldn't ever make that pencil. But over time, as the word has spread and people have seen either an ad, we've gotten down to a dollar, $1.20, let's call it. And that's a $1.20 losing those European or the or people out of the United States customer. Mm-hmm. Because half of those people don't know they can't monetize, they sign up or they sign up for mobile and there is no mobile yet. And so we lose those. So right now my CAC is, my cost of acquisition is about $1.20. Well, if you're making average figure, you have 100% of those users. So you have some users that are making $100 and you have some users that tried it once and made one penny. Yep. The average of that average, so it depends on what you do, but yeah, let's okay. just say the average is $3. Well, if I'm collecting, let's just say, 30% of $3, so um, that's got 90 cents. Yep. Right? Right, 90 cents. And it cost me $1.20 to get you, not including attrition and all the rest of the stuff, which is very high. Um, you're making money in the third or fourth month. You're actually profiting. And your customer's profiting because it only cost you $1.20 to get them. Now you have other soft costs and stuff. So let's call it $2 a year, two and a half dollars a year, 14 cents a month. Let's use that number, 14. So you add your dollar 20, then you have your actual cost of running it and call it 14 cents. And so by third or fourth month, you're actually in the green. Now, where your challenge is, is you lose a lot of customers for lots of different reasons. Some of which I can't explain. Some people come and try it once, they make one penny and then they leave. Mm-hmm. But we also find that people that come and, and, and don't finish out the first $5 and leave $4.50 lying on the table after six months, we reclaim that money. Slippage, so yeah. we actually end up making money. And it so far, I wouldn't say today it's profitable because we don't have enough customers. But once we hit a certain position, uh, which should be, uh, go pretty quickly with mobile because we can invite everyone. And as I said, my biggest challenge will be getting so that I can pay everyone because I can't quite do that yet. But once I do that, then, you know, I expect my CAC to go down to maybe as little as 20 or 30 cents. And the reason I say that is because uh, big token, I don't know if you've heard of big token in Great Britain, they're an American company. They do, they pay people for surveys. Okay. And they went out to uh, Asia and Philippines area, and they signed up 16 million users on $200,000. Wow. So figure the math on that. Now, their problem, in my opinion, is they're asking you to do things. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to ask you to do anything but what you normally do and know you're going to get paid for it. I don't want to ask you one. I don't ask you one question about the only thing we ask is for an email address and a PayPal address. And that will, what we'll get into next is a PayPal address so that I can pay you. Yeah. The only behavior change that you're trying to get people to make is just change browser. You're not asking people to do inputs on forms and surveys and bits like that. So 
I don't believe in that. Let's go into, I think it's hard as well, getting someone to change their, their way of operating and behavior activities. It's really hard. People just don't like change. That's the thing that we've learned in our business. We've got a, a, a technology product for trades professionals to do quotes, invoices, professional software and paperwork. Um, but if they use Microsoft Word and they're happy with that, getting them to move across is really bloody painful, to be honest with you. But that, that's our challenge. But, but, but let, me, let me add in, it, it becomes less of a challenge if you, quote unquote, I shouldn't use the word bribe. But remember, I'm paying you. So it becomes a... It, well, it's, you the, have a, it's the PayPal model. Like it's yeah, the it's, PayPal model. Right. They, they give you 10... Hey, try PayPal. We'll put $10 in your account. It's bribery. Right. It's, it's right. the best... And every, but here's the deal. It's not just one time. Yep. This is all the time you're getting paid for your data. And that's what the big change is. And you know, I, I don't expect to be the only company to do it. I hope to be the best company that does it. And I hope I really take really good care of my customers. But... It's a different model than, see, everybody has, has lived in this world where they, 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 that the secret's been held to them. They don't know that their data is being traded. And, and, and Google doesn't officially sell your data. That they do is they give your data to advertisers, and then the advertisers pay for placement, right? Yep. And they make, so you know, I think the last number I looked at could be incorrect. I thought it was like $440 billion off of, off of sales of data. And just think about how much money that, is. I mean, it's also surf, search data as well as browsing, but remember mm -hmm. what happens. You could use uh, Google, you can use any search engine you want with us. Well, what, what Google can't see, and I plan to pay my customers even then, when we get big enough, Google's gonna come knock on our door like Firefox and say, hey, um, I can't see where all your users are going. Can I pay you for that? And that's what they do with Firefox. Firefox makes $300 million a year or something to that nature by giving Google the data so they know where people are going. Because once you click that browser and you're not on, on Chrome, Chrome can't see where you went. Google can't see where you went. But if I remember it rightly, you're, use, you're piggybacking off Chrome users now to get them into your product. Is that right? For, like we mentioned it's an extension. Yeah, but, but not... Yeah, but they can't see... So, so we're using the Chromium to build out our product, which is open source. So Sorry. there's no issue I, I don't, I don't know that knowledge. Chromium is open source software that is the same language that Chrome is built on. Great. Yes. Perfect. Okay, you just filled that again. Perfect. Sorry, okay. sorry. Yes. So, so we could build off of that. Now we can't use some of Chrome's trade secrets. Yep. Uh, but they can't spy on us. They can't see where a customer... This is why... Firefox get paid so much money is because once you hit that browser button, once you go, I'm going to that site, I put that URL in that, in your URL box, no longer, they can see all the search, but they can't see where you went. And so all of a sudden they're scratching their heads going, well, where did that customer go? Oh, he's using a different browser. Oh, I guess I'll go over and pay Firefox to get some of that information. <laughs> Makes sense. So, I guess one of the questions I've got is Firefox, how does Firefox make money? That might help answer my question actually. Is, Fire, is Firefox a profit, like how did they make money before Google started paying them? Did they have a model or was it purely acquisition, collect data with the belief that that's worth something? They never had a model like yours, did they? No, no. They, um, the closest model is a company called Brave. Uh, and they're built off of Chrome as well, Chromium as well. 
and their model is you don't see any advertising. It's, it's a smart model. Mm-hmm. You don't see any advertising unless the advertiser pays you to see the advertising. Okay. And so it's advertisement free. I just don't think it's very profitable for the user. So, um, you know, we didn't want to follow that path. I thought, no, I just, it's up to the user. The user can say, never sell any of my data. And we're totally fine. We'll never sell any of your data. And if you decide, no, sell my data, we'll sell it for you. So uh, what happens with Firefox, to answer you correct, correctly, they're a nonprofit. Mm-hmm. So they're not out to make a profit. Uh, I actually know the CEO. I've met with him a couple of times, the ex-CEO. And he struggled because they were nonprofit and you could only make you know, a certain amount of salary and that was it. So what, what they do to stay alive, and, the, and Firefox is a great browser, it really truly is. But what they do is they take that data, and most people don't know this, and they'll sell certain, I don't know how, how much they make it private, that I don't know. But if you look it up, it's, it's on the web, they actually sell that data to Google. So Google then has an eye on where the Firefox users are going and what they're doing. I don't want to get into too deep in this because I don't know enough about it. All I know is what I've read online is that Google pays big dollars for Firefox data. Firefox fills in the missing parts of Google's yeah. user journey. Let's, so I'm, yeah. So let's I'm hoping it. I'm hoping we get big enough. Once again, I want to share profit. You know, if I could be a co-op, I would yep. share profit with my customers. And you know, if we could sell data to Google on top of it, and you get to profit off of that more the better. What's your biggest challenge in the business right now? Oh, getting my software, my app to actually work. We're having a pro- we're having a struggle with I I assume you know what an SDK is. You know, yep. Software, you know. So we're having a problem getting the communication to work between the app uh, and the uh, and the buyer of the data. I'm hoping it's this week every week it seems like it's going to be this week. And <laughs> I know that once feeling. that happens we got all of our ads ready to go. We have all of our new, um, we have a new website coming up. We've built everything. I'm one of these guys that have to have everything ready, right? And I'm yelling at you, not yelling, but I'm, 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 I'm egging you on to get everything done so that we can have a really good launch and show investors, because that's what I need to do next is go raise money, show investors that this is a workable model. And a lot of investors will, won't touch you because they remember the, the, the I'll say, call it the war, the uh, browser wars. Yep. And most, most of you guys are too young. I was in the round when that was going on. And so there were some older people. But the way I look at this is, for a long time, Google's not going to go break their model over your 100 million people. Yep. They're just, they have 1.5 billion people. I mean, if you took 100 million away, they might not be happy. They might buy you and I would have some strict rules if they did buy you, but I'm looking, if I, if I ever decide to sell, it's going to be somebody who wants to partner with us to make the world better. Yeah. Not I can, just about I, profit. But I, I can imagine knowing a little bit uh, about the world of VC is it's not then about just finding cash for you. It's about finding cash with the aligned vision for the business because they need to know where that exit comes from. And if you're buyer pool, of people because of the conditions you put on sale, you really need to find a VC that's aligned with you and the, the bigger vision around data. They'll definitely exist. How are you, 
how are you thinking about but it is harder it is harder because once again uh, they they worry about just Google coming in killing it right so that's a big fear for for them and what I try and tell the investors is look they're not gonna even if you got the 50 million people I can show you the map you're gonna exit on a 12 or 14 that's not bad for uh, you know for a company where you put in a total of 25 million dollars and exit on a 14x you did pretty damn well it's a good return let, let me ask um sort of elephant in the room for me is what learnings have you had from DuckDuckGo um and their battle with google uh in terms of the world of privacy my assumption is and tell me if i'm wrong is have they actually helped your business model because they've educated the consumers on quite a large level about data and the the, the fact that privacy is available um and the fact that your data is being used potentially without you knowing how do you feel about what they've done and what are the learnings there so uh, interestingly enough, DuckDuckGo got started. You can see my frustration about the time that I started my browser going, my first browser. Oh, really? I got nowhere and they ended up with 25 or 30 million customers. So i envious, but, but smart business guys and I re- totally respect them. So the learning that I learned from them was that if you have something that somebody really wants, you can get that 25 or 30 million users at, at a low cost, which obviously makes sense to them. Maybe it's, you're upside down for the first year or two, not unusual, uh, but then it starts getting better. And it just shows that privacy for some people is a big deal. Now, what they don't know behind the curtains, I'm not gonna tell them because it's not as private as you think it is. Mm-hmm. So a little bit as a salesman on the DuckDuckGo's case, uh, and part of it is their revenue model and how they structure. Uh, but just the fact that they have 25 or 30 million, last time I checked, they had 25 million, they may have more at this point, uh, is great. And it shows that, yeah, you, it's one of the things I put up when uh, investor shows ask me, well, how are you going to compete with Google? I go, well, there's DuckDuckGo. They have 40 million or 30 million users. If I have $30 million, you've got a 12X on your, on your exit strategy. Yeah, it's an interesting one, actually. I guess from a venture perspective is being first in against Goliath is quite scary, but you've got a case study to say, hey, I'm second in, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to compete. Here's an example of someone that's gone in first and has a business that has, like you say, 35, 40 million users. Um, I want to make sure that we end this with um, your key learnings from your transition from real estate to technology. Uh, because I think there's a lot of people in our listenership that are in are in jobs right now that they would love to do something different. And when looking across your career, I thought you're someone that has clearly embraced change in a significant way. What was the key? What gave you the confidence to step off the cliff and build the airplane on the way down, as I like to call entrepreneurship? Yeah, uh, I love and if you ask my wife, it's been a giant down, and I finally think she believes in what I'm doing, uh, which you know is a miracle because she hated what I was doing for five years and worried how much money I personally spent. Yeah, and that's something that you know you have to be using. Uh, people who want to get into entrepreneurship need to be a little cautious about. I'm a I'm a little bit of a weird example because I had money, and so if you looked at my at my company, you go, Oh my God, this guy's nuts. He spent a ton of money. I won't tell you how much money on himself, maybe selfishly not doing real estate, but the transition became for me was 
I got so tired. See, I'm in a community where it's great to own real estate, but it's really hard to manufacture it. There's so much anti-hatred of developers. I mean, every okay. movie, the, the developer is the most hated guy. And of course, that bothered me. I always tried to do really good things for the community. When I was developing real estate, I saved oh, hundreds of acres of land from being developed at the same time that I would do a small development. So to me, I was always, I was always happy with the way I handled things like that. But the transition went from, God, I just, I'm so bored and I so much don't like my job. And I have the ability, so you have to have the ability to think out of a box. Everything in the world, if you look at it, has been built or done. But also, not everything has been done. And so what you have to do as an entrepreneur is start thinking about and doing the research. Hey, does that exist? And how hard would it be for me to take, in most people's case, a small amount of money, get friends and family to believe in something I'm building, right? Then get, you know, in, I'll say uh, angel investors to step up and then eventually VCs. Uh, or I have very wealthy friends. So I would tell you that if, if my product is a success, I have a couple of people who are billionaires who are friends who are like, sure, we'll give you $10 million. So I may never see a VC uh, because they're like, yeah, sure, I'll do that. And, and in fact, I signed, uh, I now can announce this because we have a signature. I don't know if you know Kevin Harrington. No. That name right now. No. So Karen Harrington, Harrington was one of the original, I don't know if he was original. He's one of the, he was one of the guys on Shark Tank. And he was very successful on Shark Tank. And he's made a lot of money and a lot of, he started a lot of companies from Shark Tank with other entrepreneurs. And he's very uh, picky about who he, he signs with. And I just signed a contract with him yesterday to come on board as an advisor for me. So ah, congrats, man. That's yeah, cool. It's a big, it's a big deal. And in, investors will become a lot more confident about us with him coming on board because he doesn't usually get into deals that don't work out. He's, I'm not saying that everybody has a deal that doesn't work out. So back to my point about getting into this business, then you have to have perseverance. You cannot let those take you down. And all the time they take me down and the next morning I'm up ready to go back to battle. And so you need to be able to think out of the box. You need to be nice and firm with your, your commitments and your people. You have to have perseverance like there's no tomorrow. And then you have to know, which I have a hard time doing, when to give up. And if I had listened to everybody else about giving up two years ago, I wouldn't be in this, I would say, great position to maybe make something good happen, not just for me, but for everybody. I mean, I look at people around the world saying in Ethiopia, gee, if you could have another three or six dollars in your pocket, wouldn't that be great? I'm really helping you. I'm helping you pay a bill that you can't pay for. And this, that's what gets me so excited. That's what makes me, I mean, sure, do we want to make money? Absolutely. We're capitalists. But I also, I'm then social. I mean, I'm also for people making money and why not? They're making that, they're creating all that data. Why not shouldn't they participate? Jeff, I want to leave it there because I, I love the, the vision and mission focused approach that you just ended that with. And I think there were some great nuggets in there for people. And I think uh, I'm, I'm a man of quotes recently. I'm not entirely sure why, Jeff. I'm reading a lot of books and some things that stand out to me. And when you said that you're going to get a lot of no's and you just got to have perseverance, there's a great quote from Mike Tyson, which I love, which is everyone's got a plan until they get punched in the face. Uh, but as an entrepreneur, you're going to get punched in the face a hell of a lot. 
and you just got to get into the next round and keep fighting. Jeff, where can people continue this conversation with you? And I guess most importantly, see how much money that they can make on your browser and on your service. Where do, where do we need to send people to? So um, I would tell you, in, uh, have, people have a look at Try Cocoon. That's like try, you know, T-R-Y, cocoon.com. And that's where you can view our product. I would tell you for out of the States, you have to wait until, uh, it won't do you any good to sign up at this moment. But within a week, I hope, you'll be able to sign up for Android, which will be mobile, and you can try us out. And it's the start, it's just, uh, it's just um, geolocation. We have to build up our membership to about 75,000 before I can start uh, monetizing your, your, uh, your surfing data, your browsing data. But I hope that will come quickly. But meanwhile, you could be making three, six, nine, twelve dollars U.S. dollars a month. Uh, we didn't touch on how we're paying people. We're paying people through PayPal. So uh, Europe will, may not be our first stop. It's we have eleven countries we're starting in, uh, but within the year we'll have two hundred countries that you can get paid in. Like that. Um, I guess by the time that you guys listen to this. Um, the Android version should be live because this, this show at the point of me and Jeff recording this is uh, we did this conversation two weeks ago. Um, so in the app store, is it just called Cocoon, Jeff? Where do people go? Uh, Cocoon My Data Rewards. Cocoon My Data Rewards in the app or store. Or MDR. Cocoon MDR. If you can remember Cocoon MDR and do a search for that in about two weeks, I think we'll be there. Hopefully we'll be there. <laughs> he's, cro- he's crossing his fingers, which yeah, I crossing like. Crossing my fingers that we solved this one last problem because the browser and the app but remember, the first thing is geolocation. And then as we grow, we'll be, and, and hopefully we'll do all types of data for you guys so that it's not just your browsing data, it'll be other data. I'll let you select what you want to sell eventually so that it's up to you as the customer to decide, yeah, I want to sell automotive to automotive companies. I right? like that. One of the things that I actually thought about, Jeff, is when you were talking about how you reward people and pay them via PayPal. And I'm not to... It's easier giving straight cash, to be honest, but it'd be cool as an idea to say, when you said $12 to me, I was like, that's pretty cool. It's a free Starbucks for me every week. It'd be nice to sort of potentially, how I'd position this is uh, build yourself up to rewards to earn a free coffee, free Starbucks, and and make that tangible. Um, I think it's a really interesting business model that you got, Jeff, and I wish you all the best in the future. Thanks for your time today. Thanks, Adam. I appreciate it, and uh, it was fun to talk to you. 